Points Radio. We bring to you Barfield and Perry. They hella embarrassed, like why did they air it with all of these errors and Buffett and Barrett? You cannot compare it. The kings of this era, there should be a tariff on all of this knowledge. I follow regardless and straight to the point like a crow. Popping and coming, it's losing my oxygen takes that they got made me go. Whoa, so what's a swamp rat gotta do? I'm chasing all of this cheese, even if my competition grew. Deuces to the mean, your boy is never regressing. Off season through the season, 365, 247, and it's one for the money. Two bars on the show. The boys stay ready, swamp rats, let's go. It's the fantasy points, ain't no raggedy joint. They mad at me scoring points, but then they glad that they joined. One for the money, two bars on the show. The boys stay ready, swamp rats, let's go. It's the fantasy points, ain't no raggedy joint. They mad at me scoring points, but then they glad that they joined. See? Three, two. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. It's the third annual, I think it's the third annual edition of the Three Bars podcast. Uh, you usually get two bars. You get Scott and I. This week you have a third bar. It's Mr. Rich Rebar. You can follow him on Twitter at Lord Reeves. He does fantastic work over at Sharp Football. You know him from his in-season worksheet. We were just talking about the in-season grind. And Rich, I read your worksheet religiously every week in season. Uh, I know we're coming up on the cusp of it, man. It's a good time to talk to you. Good time to talk ball. Per, I mean, draft biggest draft week of the season is right around the corner. So who better to talk to than Rich? How's it going, man? What's going on, guys? Yeah, I always love catching up with you guys. I'm sorry I missed you guys in, in person. You know, Graham, I finally got to meet Graham in person last year for the first time. Uh, didn't see you guys at the expo. And like you said, it's just one of those things. It's the Jesse Spano gift, right? You're so excited. You're so scared uh, that the season is starting. <laughs> I started to already put together the week one worksheet and I'm just like, oh boy, it's here. Oh boy. Yeah, it's a good time of year. Good time of year. Scott uh, is feeling a little under the weather, but he's grinding through it. Uh, he's over here in his red room. Uh, he's got cigarettes in the ashtray. He's got spoon blasting in the background. Uh, but Scott's chilling. How's it going, man? Yeah, yeah. I'm suffering. Had, uh, I don't know, 72 hours of migraines still ongoing, but uh, excited, you know, excited for Rich Rebar. This is always, you know, one of our best shows. Love talking with uh, Reeves, who's like, I don't know, a sort of uh, savant when it comes to, you know, I, I need like a, a, a Google Doc up when I'm reading my dang stats, but Rebar, it's it's all off the top of the dome. It's It's... <laughs> A thing to behold. That's why Rich is the man. Uh, Scott, I, I'm just getting a kick out of your, your fat head in the back. It just makes me laugh every single time. It's just like floating over your shoulder. It's so funny. There's uh, nothing yeah. else on the wall. It's actually incredible. There's just... <laughs> It's, well, it's perfect. John told me to to go ahead and buy a giant fat head of that. And I was like, all right, yeah, you know, that, that's kind of funny. And so I was expecting it to be like life-sized and hang it in the, the back. And I guess I just, it was in centimeters and not inches or something like that. And uh, <laughs> now I just have this very tiny me in the background. It's hilarious. No, it's it's seriously perfect. It looks like a, like a Woody doll, just like floating above your shoulder. I always get a kick out of it. Um, all right, today we got Rich on. He's the master of top-down projections. I, I seriously, I, I do read pretty much everything Rich writes, 
And I'm always fascinated to see how Rich views teams. So today we're going to talk about four, maybe five if we have time. We're going to talk about four big fantasy teams. And I'll just get it started here. Let's kick it off with the Chargers. Uh, obviously, Kellen Moore, new offensive coordinators in town. Uh, Justin Herbert just got the new contract. We've got a new receiver in town, Quentin Johnston. So let's start at the top. What are you expecting to be different from this Chargers offense? How can we expect this offense to be different under Kellen Moore? And what are your thoughts on Justin Herbert and all of these receivers? Yeah, it's always interesting when you talk about like, you know, I started doing, you know, projections, man. I mean, it's crazy. It's like I, I just told someone the Konami code actually is about to be 10 years old next month. Uh, wow. So like that's how long like I've, I've been fortunate that like said but I'm a, I am aged in this game, and you know when I started to do like projections I was one of these people that like would go back and look at, like a lot of coordinator stuff right and like you know try to like incorporate that into like my projections and it took me like, a couple of years to kind of realize a lot of that's kind of garbage uh, you know you, you see people like kind of like talk about like well this coordinator has done this for this position the like doing projections for like a decade plus has literally gone back and seen like the ball goes to the best players, right? Like you can have schemes, uh, like schemes that players, like coaches want to run and stuff like that. And you can incorporate that, but like the ball goes to the best players and your personnel grouping almost always gets weeded out to over the course of the season, like who your best players are. Uh, there used to be like all these narratives and we were coming up like Bruce Arians doesn't use his tight end. Kyle Shanahan doesn't use his tight end. You got to have a Kyle Shanahan X receiver. It would like, it, it all just goes back to the personnel. Like those guys had like during those periods, you know, when Bruce Arians had Heath Miller, was fine when Bruce Arians had Rob Gronkowski he, Rob Gronkowski was good uh you know when Shanahan got George Kittle George Kittle is a good player the ball finds him sometimes uh not as much as we all would like to but uh I always try to at least for a starting block you know try to remind people like don't when you're looking at coordinator stuff always go back and you have to like adjust for personnel you have to look at personnel uh that's like literally one of the biggest like fallacies you can do uh, is just go down like these things and start projecting like position targets out like based on uh, you know what coaches have done in the past and you see this a little bit with the Chargers a little bit because a lot of people talk about how the Cowboys use their tight ends and with Gerald Everett but when you look at the Chargers from like a top down stance like wh- how does Gerald Everett get targets right like he's not gonna he's not gonna draw earned targets over Keenan Allen he's not gonna earn targets over Austin Eckler he's not gonna earn targets over Mike Williams he's probably not gonna earn targets over whoever the wide receiver three is so like you're already seeing some like where we try to retrofit some things that like Kellen Moore is in his past for certain players and try to retrofit that into another player uh and anytime you try to do that that's like a real slippery slope with projections and I know that was long-winded I didn't even answer your, your damn question to start off but like I'll at least kick it back to you guys to, to kind of roll with the conversation here no no I, I think you're right I, I didn't mean to like I'm 100% with you like I think in general there's like five or six play callers that like really matter and really make a difference and then every single year there's like like you said you know based large part teams you know format their scheme based on the players they have you know we'll we are not going to talk about the Cardinals today, but I think they're going to be a lot more 12 personnel with Ertz and McBride and then obviously uh, Hollywood Brown and, and Michael Wilson. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. But in general, like I think with the Chargers, it kind of matters, right? Like Joe Lombardi was not very sharp at all last year. This Chargers offense did not throw past the sticks. In fact, on early downs, Herbert had the second lowest average depth of target in the entire NFL, only behind Colt McCoy. Uh, so I guess that was kind of my starting point with with more is like, what, what can we expect this offense? How can we expect this offense to be different vis-a-vis last year? And then, you know, how, again, how can we project out Keenan and Mike Williams from that stance? 
Well, I think when you look at it, it's when you look at like the dot stuff, and I don't want to give Joe Lombardi any type of, of hall pass because schematically what the, the types of plays he is calling were just, you know, dated anyways. But when you have the injuries to Mike Williams and the injuries to Keenan Allen that the Chargers had and your top three players in terms of routes and targets end up being your running back who led the team in targets, uh, Austin Eckler, then Josh Palmer is second, and then DeAndre Carter is third on the team in routes run, your dot's going to suck. It doesn't matter. Like, because the when you're talking about like the top down targets where they go, it, depth of target is a wide receiver stat, right? Like it's not a quarterback stat. So if you're projecting Justin Herbert to make this huge jump in A dot, right? And a lot of people are, who are the targets going to? Like it has to be Mike Williams or your betting on yeah. Quentin Johnston. Because if, if if the top two targets on the team are Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen again, your A dot's not going to make a seismic jump. It just can't, right? Like that's where those players earn targets. And if those are your top two target earners on the team, your A dot's not going to go crazy, right? Like it can go up a little bit, but like it's not going to go wild. Uh, where you see Justin Herbert like being this mad bomber, like we want him to be Dan Marino, right? Like we we do, we we want that to happen. And yeah, so like so you have to if you're betting on a big big A dot jump for Justin Herbert, you have to be betting on Mike Williams or Quentin Johnston to be significant target earners. That's why I'm. That's where I'm at with Mike Williams. I'm. I'm a lot higher than than most on Williams this year because, like you mentioned, if we're gonna you know expect a more aggressive passing game, and we've kind of read a little bit about that out of Chargers camp that Williams has been more involved, specifically out of the slot, and I think that matters. Like, I'm still expecting Keenan to be sixty percent, sixty five percent in the slot, but getting Mike in the slot like thirty percent of the time would actually be huge for his stock and fantasy because over the last two years he's only been like eleven, twelve percent in the slot, so. Yeah, uh, I'm, I've been higher on Mike Williams than I think most. I still have Keenan higher in my rankings. And Scott, I know you've been been really high on Keenan this offseason. Yeah, I, so I think what's blowing my mind here is that uh, Justin Herbert led the league in dropbacks last year. Uh, he has 699 pass attempts, ranks fourth most by any quarterback all time. It was almost twice as much as Chicago's 377. And Chargers players just and coaches keep talking about how their mind is being blown by how much faster, how much more pass heavy and aggressive this offense is. And so it's like I was talking to uh, – um, was it pace God Pat Thorman about this, but it's like they already were at the fastest pace in the league. So imagine them with like taking that up two extra notches with Kellen Moore. Like should the median projection for Justin Herbert be like the most pass attempts by any quarterback in NFL history? What do you think? I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a team that, when you look at them, how they're structurally built, like they're built to throw because I've thought like forever, like the Chargers were one of these teams that should have signed one of these like dusty uh, guys that were floating around, right? Like maybe Dalvin was too much money, but yeah. like the Zeeks, the Fournettes, the Kareem Hunts, like one of those guys made so much sense for this team because when you look at the, the, the non Austin Eckler rushing attempts this team had last year. And it was absolutely abysmal. The, the, the carries from these other running backs and Eckler's already a guy that they want to alleviate workloads for anyways. It's like, they don't really have anything else behind him. And like, these guys aren't, they, they shouldn't run the ball with these guys. Like any of these other guys, they shouldn't hand the ball off to any of these other players. So like they're built to throw this, to throw the ball around and then they're going to play in the right kind of, you know, conference to have to be forced to throw the ball as well. 
Yeah, I appreciated how the Chargers didn't spend a third or fourth or sorry, waste a third or fourth round pick on a shitty running back this year. They're just like, ah, we're good. We we don't need another one they're, of those. They've tried that a few you. times. <laughs> they're like, yeah, we've been burned on these dudes before. I was with you. I thought they should should assign Kareem Hunt or Fournette. I guess they still could. Uh, next week, uh, rosters go down from ninety to fifty three on. I think it's Tuesday or Wednesday. There's gonna be some running back movement. Maybe the Chargers will be a part of that. Uh, flipping the page here, uh, easily back over to. Dallas, uh, Rich, obviously, uh, you know, Kellen Moore's gone. Uh, there is a lot of speculation about what this offense is going to look like pass versus run. I'm with you. I, I look at personnel first. And if we look at mm-hmm. Dallas's personnel, they're going to be a pass heavy team. Uh, I know Mike McCarthy's come out and said, I want to run the damn ball to rush my defense, whatever. Uh, Boomer McCarthy can say whatever the hell he wants. You look at his history. I mean, he was a pass-heavy offense coordinator. This is a West Coast offense. They've got three great receivers. Michael Gow is back healthy. So vibe check. Vibe check on Dallas. What's the rebar? What's the rebar projection on Dallas, Dak, Pollard, all these dudes? Yeah, I'm the same way. I mean, when you look at it from a personnel grouping, and I know everyone's excited about Jake Ferguson. And I listen, I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum of taking a shot on Jake, Fer- Jake Ferguson in these best ball drafts as uh, where he goes. But to expect him to get like Dalton Schultz's target share uh, again, that doesn't like that's not transitive property. They add a guy like Brandon Cooks, who's already been a guy that's uh, been a productive player. Brandon Cooks himself, I mean, he's been, I think he's one of the better values out there. I think at worst, he's a missed small pick where he's going. And then at best, you're getting uh, an absolute viable wide receiver too. And then probably the apex outcome, if something were to happen to CD Lamb, you get that massive contingency value uh, out of him as well. Uh, because when you look at Dallas, like they're, they don't have this team that like you remove Zeke, you remove Dalton Schultz, like the two succubuses from this offense last year in terms of, uh, you know, snaps and, and usage. And you replace them with Brandon Cooks, you get Tony Pollard in there. Like there's really not a lot behind Tony Pollard. We'll probably see. Uh, Deuce Vaughn could be like a, like a four to eight touch guy probably, which I think is really fun, right? Like if something were to happen in Tony Pollard, Deuce Vaughn would never be the, like the, the, the contingency bet, but like they probably use more of like a committee, but like getting him on the field for four to eight touches per game, it looks, looks pretty fun for this team. Um, and I think they're going to throw the ball. What you're worried about with Dallas is just how good the defense is and like the schedule, right? Like, is there going to be a period here where like they're just suffocating teams uh, in the second half of games and like they're able to kind of slow things down just based on like the Eagles did this a lot last year, right? Because like Eagles in the first half of games last year were a really aggressive offense. Uh, they were top eight, you know, on drop back rate. And then like they just kind of flooded teams and they didn't have to do shit in the second half of games. Like it does that happen to this Dallas team? I think there is potential for that to happen a lot in the schedule because his defense is so good. The pass rush is so good. Their secondary is so good. Uh, that you run into like these second half game scripts, maybe they slow things down. But this team, when you look at it, like this is an 11 personnel team because you get, like you said, Gallup is never like a, a really good, like kind of anchor wide receiver two, but he's like a really solid wide receiver three that can get vertical. CeeDee Lamb is one of the most versatile wide receivers. He absolutely smoked in the slot and out wide last year as one of only three wide receivers that was in the, the you know, the top. 15 and in your know, yards per out run and, and earning targets out of out of both areas in the middle of the field and out wide and they just don't have noah brown as their wide receiver too anymore right like it, it's it's really when you look at this team from a top-down stance like they're made to play 11 personnel this year yeah absolutely uh, i've been taking shots on jake ferguson he's like one of my late favorite last round tight ends in best ball too uh, obviously a lot to get excited about hype wise but i'm with you i mean at the end of the day 
I mean, we're looking at CD Lamb, minimum 25% target share. Then, like you mentioned, I think it'll be Cooks 20 to 22. Then, like Gallup's always in that 18 to 20 range. And then what's left for Ferguson? I, I got to, I'll flip it right back to you, Rich. Where do you have Pollard in your rankings? Because he's a guy I think he's, I mean, I've been drafting him a ton in the second round. I think he projects like a first round pick. But where do you have him a, a, kind of in a loaded, honestly, now top six, top seven? Yeah, I, I have him eighth overall, RB3. Okay. I actually think that there's a case to be made that he's a better pick than Austin Eckler. We didn't really talk about Eckler a little bit with the Chargers, but like Eckler had like really weird kind of splits last year based on like who was on the field, uh, you know, with the Chargers, you know, and he, when they had Mike Williams and Keenan Allen available, his actual like route participation was way down. Uh, so I'm really curious to see if like, that's something that's sticky with Kellen Moore or not. It's hard to take that as transitive property because of all the changes they have and the Chargers still have nobody back there. But I think Pollard's like in contention because he's one of those types of players. I'm curious Scott's take, like, is this what like the new like running back in fantasy looks like? Like these guys, like Mc- when you look at McCaffrey, Eckler, Pollard, because like we're losing these like true traditional like bell cow guys these three down running backs like it's it's continually getting siphoned in the nfl we only had what four running backs last year average 20 touches per game it was like the fewest in like a decade uh like is it, is it these guys like these 210 pound guys that like can just catch and play all three downs but like don't get 350 touches like i'm real curious to see like what you think because you obviously are like the bell cow dude Right. Uh, yeah, I, I think it goes back to uh, like the work I've done in uh, weighted opportunity where targets and PPR leagues are worth 2.5 times as much as a carry for running back. So like you don't need those. And like outside of the red zone, that's, I don't know, 3.25 times as much. So it's like, yeah, why don't you just, uh, you know, spare this guy the wear and tear. Don't give him the he can take, you know, 40 to 50% of the in between the twenties carries, and then just give him all of the rest, you know, high value target, uh, high value touches. Uh, and that's, what's, you know, going to really move the needle. And especially for a guy like Chris McCaffrey, who, you know, was, would have been drafted in round one. If he was like, I refuse to play running back. I'm, I'm a slot wide receiver and Eckler who, you know, is, is breaking receiving records as well. So, um, yeah, that definitely definitely could be the case. I I mean, I, I think you're right. I think those are, um, yeah, easily the top two running backs. And then Pollard, I don't know that I have him RB3, but I, I definitely see the case for that. Yeah, it's just a, it's a unique thing. And, you know, it's funny as I wrote about the, the running quarterbacks, you know, a decade ago, as we talked about. And it's funny to see how the running quarterbacks are manipulating fantasy football in different ways now because – they are reducing running back touches, uh, especially if you look at like share of running back touches inside the five yard line. And then they're also reducing throws to running backs because targets uh, per game for running backs have dropped five consecutive years now in the NFL. And it's like literally everything lines up with like the increase of the mobile quarterback. And it's just really crazy how it's, it's impacting now the running back position and not just yeah. the top of the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, these elite quarterbacks like Hertz, Allen, uh, you, we'll put Lamar in that category this year. I certainly do. Like, these guys are pinball machines. Like, literally, like, any type of scoring, they, they're going to get it. Like, they're just going to bounce off the walls and score. Like, I think that's that's kind of uh, – we didn't get a chance to talk about this uh, in our last projection show. But, like, real quick, Rich, what's your read on the 
elite quarterbacks going in the late second, early third round? Like, is that market efficiency? Is that chasing upside? Is that an overreaction? Like, what's what's your read say? Yeah, it is. I mean, when you look at our history of drafting fantasy football, and it's it's gotten better, right? Like, uh, I do an ADP series for the site, and we've consistently gotten better at drafting players because we kind of honed in on like what archetypes to draft, right? Like that's one thing you see more in fantasy football more than ever. It used to be you get a lot of player analysis. So we do still do a lot of player analysis and people talk about that. But like a lot of people know what to identify. Like when you talk about like Scott doing like the bell cow, like when you draft a running back, you want him to check these boxes. When you draft a quarterback, you want him to check these boxes. And a lot of people have gotten great at identifying that quarterback archetype uh, that used to be, you know, when I talk about the original Konami code it was like the guys like Terrell Pryor or like Justin Fields last year is like a traditional Konami code guy but like when you have the guys like Josh Allen or Jalen Hurts or like 2019 Lamar Jackson like when you get the passing upside season with the rushing season like people have identified like you can't really combat those guys right like uh, you know 2015 Cam Newton like uh, those guys are just just jailbreak kind of cheat codes right like and so like people know like hey we have to that's why Fields is getting still drafted where he is right now right because we're baking in like, well, what if he does have a great passing season? Like, what are, what are we going to do? We have to take him there. And when you look at a like, sub-tier of like Burrow, Herbert, uh, and Trevor Lawrence, like they, those guys give you a little bit of rushing. But those guys, to even compete with being the QB1, which I think is pretty thin that any of those guys can actually be the QB1 overall, like they have to throw 40 t- passing touchdowns. There's like really no other outcome. Like they have to throw 40 passing touchdowns. And just banking on that is is really fragile to begin with. Like look what happened to Herbert last year. It's it's not Herbert's fault, but like that's the slope you fall on if some things fall apart. You run into just either uh, a cattywampus touchdown rate or like some skill players get hurt around you. And you're that archetype that doesn't have that like full rushing to fall on. Like the bottom falls out. Like if you spent a high draft pick on Justin Herbert last year, like you probably weren't very good. Your team yeah. probably wasn't wasn't very good at all. And that's the fragility you have, even with guys like that in that sub tier. That's why I think you have to treat Lamar and Fields, even if they maybe aren't as safe as those guys. You have to treat them as just uh, you know better at ADP because of that the apex range of outcome versus those guys. They are just drawing more live with a higher percent odds to be the QB one overall than that, those three guys. Yeah. I mean, I've got Lamar at QB four, but it's not too far behind the top three. Like it's like, he's right there in terms of ceiling. I think with the top three, then like you mentioned the safety with Lamar, by the way, you mentioned like a good passing season for Justin Fields, you know, his first two years, he's averaged like 150 yards per start. A good passing season would be like 180 yards. Like that would, that would honestly kind of take him to that next level, like 180, 190 yards per game. Uh, I don't think it's totally out of the the realm of possibilities, but yeah, did want to did want to bring that up with you. Uh, we'll get back to projections. Talk. Uh, got to talk Jets. Got to talk Hard Knocks team. Um, obviously, you guys watch Aaron Hard Knocks? Is Hard Knocks like a thing for you guys? I I watched the last two last night. Actually, it's okay. Yeah. I think it's been boring. There's for, no way Scott watches Hard Knocks, right? Yeah, it's been boring for a number of years. No, Scott does not. There's no way. I haven't, actually, watched, I haven't watched it in a long time. Actually, yeah. I made my girlfriend uh, buy HBO Go so I could watch it. I watched the first two episodes as well. Nice. Oh, yeah. Nice. Wait, it's Max now, not HBO Go. You got to get it right. Oh, that's whatever it is. <laughs> I'm I'm getting Ant Man. Like I like I don't know that I I'm super excited to draft Aaron Rodgers, but like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Probably the MVP odds are nice. Probably uh, Jets to win the Super Bowl is nice. Or, or am I, you know, just one of these, uh, you know, people from New York City who is getting a little too, uh, uh, 
too excited or maybe you know it's it's this show brainwashing and propagandizing me what do, what do you think rebar i think if you want to bet the jets you do it in season uh because obviously they're the hype team you're you they're everywhere in front of us right like they're, they're on hbo they're on hard knocks but their pre-buy schedule is is a nightmare it's like they, they open they open versus the bills the cowboys the patriots the chiefs the broncos and the eagles and then they have a bye and then things get a lot better so like let's say this team is like two and four or three and three everyone's gonna be like oh it's the you know everyone told us to get hype about these guys uh it's the next dream team none of these teams work out but then you look at like them coming out of the bye things get a lot better. So I think they're like, like that Buccaneers team with Brady, you know, there's a lot of similar similarities between like this Rogers transition and like Brady's transition a couple years ago. Remember the Bucks? I think, I think the Bucks at that, that season were like seven and five halfway through the year. And then they just won their last eight straight games. Uh, I think we could see something similar to that because like this defense is that good. It allows you the front of the season for them to kind of figure things out on offense, what they want to do, get this offensive line kind of settled versus that really rough schedule. And then you come back and you look at that second half schedule and you're like, yeah, there's a lot of winnable games there. So I think if you want to bet the Jets to win the Super Bowl, you're going to get a lot better odds like in week four, five and six than you probably are getting right now. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, the front half of their schedule is just brutal. I mean, in the, the two games that they're favored, they get a home game against the Patriots. The other game they're favored is out on the road against the Broncos. And I mean, the Broncos still have a pretty good defense. Next week, they play the Eagles and they have their bye. I mean, it's it's a really rough stretch. I yeah, guess Broncos game is going to be fun yeah. because that's the Sean Payton. Like, uh, I know, yeah, that's I know. I hope, I hope Garrett Wilson comes back out in his bucket hat and his shades. Uh, I, I hope there's I hope there's a lot of uh, a lot of shade. But uh, Rich got to talk this backfield. I mean, uh, obviously, game script. We were just talking about it. I mean, game script won't be great out of the gates. Uh, Brees Hall versus Dalvin Cook. Obviously, been a lot of debate on fantasy Twitter. I, Brees Hall is, you know, back in practice. He's looking good. All the Jets beats say he's cutting and looking great. Aaron Rodgers is even hyping him up. Uh, how do you view this backfield? Yeah, it's, it, this is interesting because this is like a lot of things like projections can't capture, right? Like, you know, how like when will Brees Hall be at 100% workload? Will he ever be at 100% workload? Uh, then you factor in like the Rogers stuff, right? Like it's one thing to factor in the Brees Hall injury stuff and trying to get a gauge on that. And you guys have a great, you know, person at your guys' website and Edwin um, that can kind of diagnose and lead us on the right path of like, hey, Brees Hall checks all these boxes. But then you add Dalvin Cook and GM Rogers, right? Like what if Rogers just wants Dalvin Cook in the game? Like, that's like a Very range of outcomes. Like yeah. that could just exist, right? Like, yep. like that that could be a thing. Um, I've been taking shots on, on Brees Hall, like when he gets like past like that like firewall of like no man's land and wide receiver, uh, especially if I started wide receiver heavy. But there's definitely some risk here because like we talked about that front half schedule, which could be really good for Brees Hall because even if he starts off slow he gets that like really kind of reduced workload through like the toughest part of the season. And if he comes out of the bye in week eight, and he's getting that back that for, for that like big workload that he had uh, before he got injured. Like then you're cooking with cooking with something because the schedule ends up. But also in fantasy, you've played seven weeks, half your regular season. Like what if your team isn't like in a position? So he's kind of a tricky kind of fantasy gamble. Uh, I had already had the like non Jets, uh, non Brees Hall running backs to the Jets projected for like 210 carries anyways with before the Dalvin Cook signing so like Dalvin Cook taking up like a, a huge chunk of that like didn't really injure like my Brees Hall projection but like there like I said there's just so many things projections can't capture 
in this scenario that are that are really wild cards. So I think Brees Hall for me is one of these guys that like fits like a specific team structure. Uh, you know, how strong am I? Am I is it like a zero RB team? Uh, is this a situation where I already have an anchor running back and like I don't need to chase like Brees Hall being that alpha, like him just coming back because I already have a Tony Pollard one of the or one of these guys we viewed early. Um, and then I can have a, be more of a luxury because I think the, the zero RB teams are being more trouble with Brees Hall, right? Like counting on him to d- deliver because you're probably not going to get that front of the season deliver delivery out of him. So you could be buried by week eight by the time he comes back and you just can't get out of that hole. But if you have a Tony Pollard or Christian McCaffrey and Austin Eckler and you grab a Brees Hall in round five or six, if he slides now you've got that anchor running back, right? And now you've got a chance to maybe have two of those bell cow backs for the back half of the season. And you probably have already tread enough water because you have one of those guys of the front half of the season as well. So I think if it's those builds more than the guy like just cap typically grabbing him, like kind of where I did in that super flex league we're in altogether. Um, yeah. I'm probably at a lot more risk, you know, taking him there than those teams and then auction formats, right? Just because you mitigate uh, opportunity costs more in auction formats, you can get Brees Hall and still not have to forego a lot of players that go around him typically in ADP. Uh, so that's kind of how I like see it. I think it's going to be a really rough opening six weeks and he's got a week seven by. So like if you're counting on production out of him for a roster spot, like that's you, you could be dead halfway through the season. Yeah. I mean, I, I see. I could see it the other way with Brees. Like, there's still a ton of running backs that I love in the mid rounds, and I know Scott would agree. There's three or four that I've been drafting. So you could get Brees in rounds four and five, and then just take a shotgun in rounds five, six, and seven. And it's like, okay, you know, I, maybe I won't use Brees in the first couple of weeks, but like, I feel great with Rashad White and David Montgomery, or Rashad White and you know James Conner or something like that. I can find ways to stopgap that production. Uh, Brees is. Someone I wasn't drafting at all in the third round. I just thought the risk profile was way too much against the cost uh, of, you know, the opportunity cost of the receivers in that pocket, like DK Metcalf, Calvin Ridley, Debo Samuel. But now, I mean, he's going in a pocket behind Mike Williams and like Christian, Christian Kirk. And it's like, all right, I can definitely buy into Brees in that pocket compared to the you know previous wide receiver pocket. Uh, Scott, what's your take on Brees? I don't think you and I have talked about Brees since, uh, since the news happened with Dalvin. Have you changed your rankings at all? Have you changed your opinion at all? Yeah, I I was kind of really down on him. And then this happened and I pushed him down even more. I I just think Dalvin is definitely the least cooked of these free agent running backs. And, you know, the contract kind of hinted in that direction. He... um, He's been dealing with his shoulder injury for a really long time, but he he said in interviews that it like really bothered him last year. It sapped him of his typical uh, physicality, and it showed up on the on the field. And uh, yeah, I just think he has more juice than you know, like a Zeke Elliott or Fournette by by a significant margin. And then it's just the Jets kept saying that you know they don't want a bell cow running back. Um, the OC was never a bell cow guy. The head coach uh, was never a bell cow guy. I mean, like Brees saw a really good volume last season, but I don't think he cleared like a 65% snap share in any single game. My, Michael Carter was still getting significant work. Uh, and then when he got, got hurt, you know, it was a committee be, between the other two backs. And then uh, there were the reports that they were trying to draft Jameer Gibbs at pick 15 overall, um, so like every indication to me, just like, I, I don't think that there's 
you know, league winning upside here. I, it seems like they clearly want a committee backfield. And they're going to be slow. Like this, this team's going to have a great defense and Rogers is a selfish lover, man. Like he, <laughs> he's going to play slow. Like this team's going to be a really, it's going to be a slog. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is like, you know, is that a LaFleur thing or you think that's just a Rodgers thing? That's a Rogers I think thing. it's more of a Rodgers thing. I think it's it's a yeah. Rodgers comfort thing, right? Like unless you got 12 men on the field, like he's bleeding that thing out. Yeah, true. Because <laughs> the only time that he snaps the ball early, if he counts, he's got that 12th man. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, uh, real quick before we move on, final team, uh, Corey Davis retired unexpectedly yesterday. Does that do anything for your Garrett Wilson projection, Alan Lazard, Tyler Conklin? How do you kind of redistribute targets there? Yeah, I didn't have Corey Davis uh, projected for a lot. He was a guy I was like taking 18th round swings on just because, yeah. you know, I thought he was, you know, still like a decent decent enough player and was going to play with a good quarterback. Hey, like what if he luck boxed into six to eight touchdowns, right? But that's not happening now. Uh, you yeah. know, there's definitely a place in the multiverse where Corey Davis smashed, you know, didn't have all those early career injuries, kind of played in uh, more aggressive offenses, but unfortunately not, uh, not for us. Yeah. There's a lot of. Cause he was like the consensus one-on-one that year. It was like him and Fournette. Uh, and that, that was the McCaffrey draft too, which is funny. Like in hindsight, looking back on it, it's like a lot of people got McCaffrey at three and uh, that, yeah. that worked out pretty well. Scott and I had McCaffrey at one that year and we had Fournette at two and then Davis at three. So it was, a, it was a good year for Scott and I with McCaffrey at one, but uh, yeah. yeah, was yeah thinking... Scott was on the, I'm, you know what? I'm, it's yeah. a really bummer that Derry Sanders never caught on. It did. It, it did. Uh, it's I mean, that's nickname. one of the greatest nicknames of all time. <laughs> I, I forget the name of the company, but some uh, the big you know fantasy football apparel company. They did make a Derry Sanders shirt. So Roto, was it Rotoware? Yeah, Rotoware. There you go. It was a yeah. great nickname. That's a bummer that that one never caught on because that was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Derry Sanders, but, man. He'll. he'll yeah, we can, we can call him in our hearts. Let me ask you guys how you're handling it. Like, obviously, Garrett Wilson has climbed all summer. Um, and, like, is there, like, a path? Obviously, he's going to get more efficient targets. But is there, like, a path for him to really compete from a target count of some of the guys he goes around in ADP? And I also want to ping pong that off you guys, because uh, I don't know if we'll get there, about the Chris Olave ADP uh, e- even more. Like, what if these guys end up being, like, 125 target players? Like, where they're going like you you a lot of people want to take garrett wilson over amon ross st brown right like amon ross st brown could have 45 more targets yeah. than this dude I, like, i'm not taking yeah i'm not taking garrett wilson over amon ron i'm not taking garrett wilson over Devonte adams i mean adams is still like the premier target earner i think that's a little closer between him and amon Ra, but I, i'm with you wilson has been my wide receiver 10 pretty much all off season behind adams and uh, when it comes to Olave, i've been lower on Olave too man like i've gotten below ridley in my rankings and similar concern it's like you know i don't think the saints are going to be all that pass heavy they're not going to be super fast and michael thomas is back healthy and i know i know it's michael thomas blah 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 but like that kind of does matter and you know they actually have some decent secondary targets now with rashid shaheed and juan johnson alvin kamara will be back so yeah you know as much as i love olave as a player i'm I'm with you projecting out his targets is it's difficult especially compared to the players he goes in the same range like i'm definitely taking jalen waddle at How about you, Scott? I, mean, get this, <laughs> I, I want to know. I want to know what you're doing with these guys. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've got Amon Ross St. Brown, wide receiver six, Garrett Wilson, wide receiver eight, Chris Olave, wide receiver 15. Yeah. Nice. 
Yeah, I like it. Uh, you know, Olave is one of these guys. The more I, I've gotten to like this point, like I, I'm hard. I have a harder time seeing him get that like compete with those guys from like a target stance. It's like he's a great player, right? And like I think Drake London's a really good player, but like where are we getting the target counts from these guys? Uh, you know, we don't know like if like Derek Carr is gonna be like that much of an upgrade. The Saints have like a really soft schedule. We were kind of talking about the NFC South before the show. Uh, and you look at like the back half of last year, like the Saints ran, they were the, they were like the slowest team in the NFL. They ran the fewest amount of plays in the NFL weeks eight to 18. They had, were 27th in dropback rate over that span. And like yeah. over that span, Chris Olave had just two top 20 scoring weeks. He had one game where he ran 30 pass routes over that entire yeah. span. Yeah. And like, is that something that happens again? Like, this is a great, a really good player. I'm not trying to pull away from that, but like, we have to make hard decisions at the front of drafts, right? Like, we're selecting good players versus good players. We know that these guys are inherently good players. Uh, so, like, does he really have that target count, like that target outcome? Because I want my guy to have that like insulation of like, what if they, he's not the most efficient player, right? Because we know efficiency is, is more cattywampus than, than volume. So I want the guy that's going to maybe get 170 targets, right? Like I want that guy on my roster. Yeah. I just don't think that's in Olave's range of outcomes unless Michael Thomas gets hurt again and Rashid Shahid gets hurt again. Because right now, I mean, I've got Olave for 130, and I don't think there's a range where he gets to 150 unless the Saints like absolutely stink this year, which we were talking about it before the show. Like the NFC South is wide open. I think you can easily say the Saints are the favorite. Uh, so yeah, and even if you I, hate I'm, Derek Carr, he yeah. like objectively is probably right now for the this season in a vacuum the best quarterback in that division. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. He is. And I, yeah, I don't think that's even a question. Um, yeah. I mean, we're, I saved saints for last. I'm did. I'm glad we did bring it up. Cause you know, Alave has been a guy that I've been a little lower on and I, uh, where rich, did you say where you have Alave in your rankings? Yeah, I have him at 13, but I was like, you know, he's in an area yeah. where like, I've never, never really comfortable taking him there either. Yeah. Right. I've got him. I've got him at 17. Um, I've got him behind Waddle Higgins Damn. and Ridley. Yeah. Actually 16. Sorry. Uh all right. Final team. Rich, this has been great so far, but we got to get out of here before before we get out of here, we got to talk Kansas City Chiefs. We got to talk their wide receivers. Uh just how you're projecting out this wide receiver group. Will there be a guy this year we can actually rely on in fantasy? Yeah, he, he plays uh tight end. Uh, <laughs> Damn it. Uh, <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> I mean, it so you look at the Chiefs, like it, it's they're in the same boat as they were last year. Like they're gonna play a lot of guys at wide receiver. And this is a team that doesn't run a lot of eleven personnel because their tight end is the wide receiver. He doesn't play in line. So this is you look at their the Chiefs were third in drop back rate last year, but they were twenty-third and eleven personnel rate because Travis Kelsey is their de facto wide receiver uh marvin marcus valdez scantling is going to play way more snaps than anyone wants him to uh i know that, like people want rasheed rice to be a thing and sky Moore to be a thing and he who does not be named a thing uh <laughs> but like you know like they're going like marcus valdez scantling is going to be out there playing snaps look at it in the preseason again who's who's the wide receiver that's played the most snaps with patrick Mahomes in the field it's MVS by a gap uh, again. And so like, even I want to say like Skymore's ADP is fine, right? Like I have no problem with like taking Skymore where he goes, but like what if Skymore doesn't play in two wide receiver sets and he only plays in three wide receiver sets? Like what kind of value are we squeezing out there 
Um, and we, do we just have to try to get lucky on the weeks we get a touchdown from him? Like, because this is a team that's just not going to run a lot of, lot of 11 personnel. So they're going to rotate guys in. I see Rasheed Rice a lot like Sky Moore last year, where Sky Moore was the inevitable Juju replacement. Rasheed Rice is the inevitable MVS replacement. Maybe in season, there's like something in the over the course of time that adjusts that. And he's like a back half of the season kind of uh lid lifter um for teams like you know scott's written about like rookies and how they perform the back half year maybe that's what you're looking for out of rishi rice but you're probably gonna be a, he's probably gonna be a guy that's on a lot of waiver wires like come week five week six of seasons i uh i believe um and then you still have like when tony comes back he's the other wild card because what the chiefs do consistently is when the chiefs get in the red zone they run more jet motion than any team in the NFL. They use motion and jet motion inside the red zone more than anyone in the NFL. And that's Tony's role. Like, right. Like that's his, like when they, when Hardman got hurt and they acquired Tony Hardman, uh, Tony was that dude, all the jet motion stuff was his in the inside the red zone. So he's still going to be like that dude as like a thorn. Like even if he never becomes like a full like route tree receiver, the chiefs are going to use him in that role. Cause he's good at that. You can hand the ball off to him. You can use him uh, uh, in those, in that capacity where like he runs like the, the half jet motion and runs back. We saw them in the super bowl, get two touchdowns off of that play with Tony and sky Moore. It's like, they're going to, it's going to be a sum of parts unit again. And I know nobody wants to hear that, but I absolutely am betting that to be a sum of parts unit. And unless Travis Kelsey gets hurt, which he is on a God's tier run of never getting hurt, which is absolutely kind of like one of the things that's crazy about Kelsey's career. Yeah. Yeah. We're not both Kelsey's. They don't miss games. (laughs) Dude. It's, it's something in the, it's something in the water, something their genetics, their parents gave them. Um, you know, you mentioned MVS is going to play more than anybody wants. It's true. He's going to be their guy in one wide receiver, one and two wide receiver sets. I did. I've watched all the Chiefs preseason snaps. I've noticed Sky's played a couple of times in twelve personnel, especially when they have like a stacked uh, formation or do splits. So Sky's gotten a few snaps in twelve, but yeah, I mean it's mainly been MVS. Um, I think that'll change though. Like I think ideally they wanted Juju to kind of be the full-time player and like 90 or maybe not even 90, but like 85, 90% route share snap player last year, but he couldn't cause his knee couldn't hold up. Uh, if there's one guy on the team that can do that, it's probably sky, but I'm with you. It'll, it'll probably be some sort of gross rotation once again. And when Scott and I were first talking through projections in like may after the draft, that was like the first thing I said about Kadarius. I'm like, dude, you know what he's going to be, right? He's going to be like, they're souped up me, Cole Hardman. Like I don't really even care about the, the downfield stuff too much. He's going to get all like the schemed inside 10 uh, targets. And I, I still think he could, but obviously two knee surgeries this off season. Uh, I was kind of in on Tony when he was going to like the seventh and eighth round in may. And like, I've not drafted him at all. I'm, I'm sorry, Scott, but I'm, I've been completely out on Tony. Yeah. He's, he's still must draft for me. I know oh, it gosh. doesn't feel good, but yeah, that's the, team. I mean, he's cheaper now. I mean, it, it, ninth 10th round i mean you can get him as your wide receiver four or five and just you know realize that you're going to be taking zeros probably week one and two but in these best balls you should i still think he's like palatable where he's going i think even more so than like where graham said like i wasn't drafting him really then but now like everyone's ejected like everyone's fully out and i'm like this dude still could probably score five to eight touchdowns because that's how they use him they how that's how they use uh that role in the red zone yeah yeah, he cer- he certainly could. He'll score five to eight touchdowns or five to six touchdowns in five to six games played. It's gonna be great. <laughs> You'll never know when they're coming. Uh, yeah, that's the problem. That's why that's the the redraft conundrum. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. there you go, uh, Rich. This has been great, man. I uh, solid forty minutes uh, going around the horn, talking through uh, some high level team level projections, just talking through the markets this year. 
Uh, this has been great, Rich. I really appreciate it. Anything you want to plug? Obviously, we were talking about your worksheet in season, but anything you got coming up, anything you're excited about? Uh, yeah, I mean, I did, I put together an actual draft kit this year. It's kind of like the first time we, we kind of marked it as a draft kit. So you can go check that out at the site. Uh, if anyone does listen to this, you can use uh, the code SHARP50 and you can get 50% off of it for these last two weeks uh, in, the, in the heavy draft season. Nice. Very nice. Definitely should check that out. Always check out Rich's work. Rich really does the, some of the best work in the industry. Follow him on Twitter at Lord Reeves. For Rich, for Scott, this was a third annual three bars projection show. Thank you guys for listening. We will catch you next week.